First John chapter 3. Our reading today is going to be from verses 11 through 18. First John 3, 11 through 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Thank you. Uh, last week I had the privilege of being uh, down at, in St. Cloud, Florida. Uh, that is where uh, one of our missionary couples, Aldi and Marie Whiteman, have a church and uh, they uh, wanted to send their greetings to you, and uh, they love our church. We are their sending church, and uh, they know many of you, and they pray for many of you, and so they just wanted me to say hello. Uh, we have supported them as a church for 43 years, and uh, they are very thankful for that support. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful that we can, that we can study your word. Lord, your word tells us that the world that will know that we are your disciples if we have love for one another. And Lord, that is sometimes a struggle for us. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us as we look into your word at this passage. When John opens up this, these truths of love, I pray that you'll help us to understand them and to grow. Lord, I pray that this will not just be a message that we hear like so many other messages, and just let it pass through us. Lord, but it's one that we will apply this week, maybe even today. Lord, and I pray that you help us. Lord, be with me. Help me to be guided by your Spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. How has your view of love changed since when you were younger? I mean, kids sometimes have funny views of things, don't they? And we laugh. That's why, a sh you know, the show, um, you know, kids, kids say whatever it is, the funniest things or something. That's why shows like that are funny because we laugh when kids say funny things. I have some things that kids have said about love. That might be hard to see, isn't it? I don't know. I'll read it to you. Uh, one child said, I think this was Glenn, said, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. Sounds about right. Or, or uh, this one, John said, love is like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. <laughs> I hope you don't feel that uh, way about your spouse and about love. Uh, here's another one. No one is sure why it happens, but I heard it's something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. <laughs> a young person believes that. Uh, here's another one. My mom said to look for a man who is kind. That's what I'll do. I'll find someone who's kind of tall and handsome. And then the last one here. Most men are brainless. 
So you might have to try more than once to find a live one. (laughs) I don't know about that. You know, kids have a funny way of viewing love, but as we mature and grow, our view of love should mature and grow. And I'm not just talking about romantic love, I'm talking about love for one another. The topic of John, 1 John, has, we've come back over and over and over again to this topic of loving one another. One, one writer compared John, 1 John to a, a spiral staircase because he says it keeps spinning around to the same topic. That's because that's what John does. Over and over again, he talks about love and, 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 and he dwells on this topic of love. Now, what John does here is he begins to divide the human race into two different groups that we see throughout this book, throughout this epistle. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Now, this is not in our uh, passage that we're looking at, but I want you to see this. Uh, we actually skipped over this one, but if you see in 1 John 3:10, he says, "By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil." He says there are two different types of people in this world. There are those who are the children of God, and there are those who are the children of the devil. Every single person in this entire world, the eight billion plus people that live in this world, fall into those two categories: children of God, children of the devil. Now, how do we know which is which? How, how can we see evidence? Of which is which? Well, he tells us two different things in this passage. Look what he says in verse 10. Uh, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, and whoever, uh, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So he gives us two categories. The first one is righteousness. Now, verses, we're we're not going to read this today. We didn't study this, but verses 4 through verse 10 talk about righteousness and and basically says uh, those who continually practice sin are not doing righteousness, so therefore they are not of God. And so uh, righteousness is the first sign. If you are one who constantly is sinning and and you cannot overcome your sin, uh, and I'm not saying we never sin, we've talked about this, but it's that practice of continually sinning. He says you're not of God. You are a child of God. Uh, of the evil one. You're the child of unrighteousness. However, if you are one who, who sins and, and, yet, and you, uh, you know it's wrong and you confess your sin and you continually come back to God and confess your sin, he says you're a child of God. But the second aspect that he talks about here is not just righteousness, but then he says what? Love. And that's why this topic of love is so important. And so in our text for today, John turns his attention towards this great indicator of whether or not you are a child of God or a child of the devil, and that indicator is whether or not you have love for one another. We're going to look at four aspects of this, four uh, ways that we can look at this idea of loving one another. First one I want you to see is love is a dominant theme of the writers of the New Testament. Notice what he starts off in our text today. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. Now, we saw that same phrase back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. In that passage, he was talking about, about that, that God is light. He was talking about the character of God. But here in this passage, he's talking about our responsibility, and that is to love one another. This moral imperative of Christians to love one another was at the very heart and soul of the message of the apostles. I mean, John talked about a great deal, not only in the book of John, but in 1 John 
uh, John was constantly dwelling on this topic of we are to love one another. Uh, uh, Paul also talked about this. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago, but there, there's a verse that Paul says where he says, he, he talks about you have heard you should not commit adultery, you, have, you should not kill, you should not bear false witness. And he said, but all of those can be wrapped up in one phrase, love one another. Peter also says this in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. See, love was at the heart and, and core of the apostles' teaching, and it, and it still should be at the heart and core of our teaching. So what, what he's saying is from the very beginning, this message you have heard from the beginning, what does he mean by that? And it's the same thing he said in 1 John 1, 5, that very beginning is from the time you first heard the gospel. Uh, John is saying that the readers that read this knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God expected them and also would empower them to love one another. This consumed John's teaching and preaching. Now John was probably writing this this epistle around 90 AD. What's the significance of that? By 90 AD, all the other apostles most likely had been martyred. John was the only apostle left. I mean, John at this point was a a really old guy, and he was the elder statesman, he was the type of guy that when he would walk into a room, uh, people would sit and listen. Okay, they had great respect for John. John was one that uh, drew attention. Now, John had gone through a lot. John had been tortured. John, John had been uh, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. John had been dipped in oil and burned. John had gone through so many trials, but yet he was still living. And so by the end of his life, he was so frail, he was so fragile, that oftentimes he didn't even have the strength to get up and speak. And so the, the people would gather around him and he would sit. And here's the thing, is over and over again, they would come and they would gather around John. And you know what he would say? Love one another. I'm sure Christians would come and say, John, you, you walked with Jesus. You, you talked with Jesus. What, what, what message should we be taking to the world? Love one another. Okay, but John, uh, tell us something. What's, what's the most important thing we should be doing? Love one another. And that was a message that John came back to over and over and over again. Love one another. And maybe, maybe you're thinking the same thing that the people who were listening to John were saying is, why do you keep coming back to this topic of love? See, John was completely changed by the gospel. Remember during John's time when Jesus was on earth, walking the earth, what was, what was John's and his brother James, what was their nickname? Sons of Thunder. You know, they weren't called Sons of Thunder because they knew how to control the weather. Okay, they were called Sons of Thunder because these guys, James and John, they were fiery. I mean, they were the type that, they, they just were like, they were headstrong, they were, they were just determined type of guys. They were not one that were typically soft and cuddly and good, and good feelings type of guys. I mean, remember, these are the guys that their mom came with them and came to Jesus and said, hey, 
can you make sure that my son John is one on one side of you and my son James is on the other side of you in heaven? I mean, they're not thinking about other people. These are the guys that, you remember the story, Jesus went into a Samaritan village and they had been traveling quite a bit and they go into the Samaritan village and the Bible tells us that the Samaritans did not receive him. They did not accept him. So what was James and John's response? Well, that's okay, we'll love them. No, look what James and John's response was. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's a loving, compassionate thing to say, isn't it? I mean, can you just picture that? That's their response. Hey, God, Jesus, let's just send fire down and just destroy them. (laughs) And yet later, this guy John was referred to as the loving apostle. He wrote a whole book on love. What happened? He was so changed by the gospel that love became a priority. Loving God and loving others. You know, this this topic of love was something that was a priority for John because he knew the importance of it. This command to love one another, again, again, the word love is the word agape, which means sacrificial, selfless love. It's not just some, some feel-good love. It's not just something where, where we're just you know, kind when we pass by people. No, this is a love that g- gives of itself. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But this is a love that's, that gives completely of who you are. And John kept saying over and over again, this is what God commands of you. Love one another. Now maybe you're looking around this room and you're going, that's kind of hard to do sometimes. But remember, God always enables us to do what he commands us to do. So love was a, was a common theme of John's and the other apostles. But the second thing I want you to notice is that love has to overcome the evil deeds of the flesh. John then takes a what seems to be a rather weird turn in verse 12 he's talking about this is the message this is what you've been told this is what we've been talking about love one another then he says in verse 12 we should not be like Cain (laughs) okay that seems a little extreme who is Cain remember Cain in Genesis chapter 4 Cain murders his brother Abel Cain and Abel were the first two uh, siblings. They were the first two children. They, they were the first two that were born uh, of a woman. And they come into this world and they grow up. And we don't know much about their childhood, but they come to the point of being an adult. And they are bringing their offerings and their sacrifices to God. And, and the Bible tells us that, that uh, Cain brought of the fruit. Abel brought of the firstborn of the sheep which was accepted by God, while Cain's was not. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that that Abel's was accepted by faith, meaning Cain's was not. And so this led to, in Cain's life, hatred for his brother. And this hatred grew and grew and grew until it came to the point where he decided that he was going to murder his brother. 
Now it's interesting, if you look at this passage in, in 1 John, he says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. This word murder here is, is a word that means not just simply you know, kill, but it actually means to slaughter violently. The apostle here is revealing that, that murder was evidence that Cain was what? Of the evil one. Now, this should not be a surprise considering what, what Jesus told us and John recorded in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, when he says, You are of your father the devil, and your father will do, uh, and excuse me, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. And Cain showed by committing murder, but ultimately by hating his brother, he showed his spiritual connection with the evil one by slaughtering his brother. See, here's the thing, is sin in every single one of us, not just Cain, but in every single one of us, sin comes into our lives uh, through our human hearts when we as men and women willfully yield to Satan and do his bidding. And by doing this in Cain's life, it gave evidence of his moral relationship with the devil. Notice what he says in verse 12 there. He says, uh, and why did he murder him? Uh, William Vine, who, who uh, uh, has written many books, uh, helped self-study uh, books, excuse me, Bible study books, he said this. He, he said, John, John asked this question to give an opportunity to express the true evil character of, the, of one who would murder his brother. But here's the thing. What does he say next? He says, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. See, he did not, he, he did not murder him because he was a murderer. You say, what do you mean by that? I think in our minds, here's what we have. Okay, We have like, we're all here, we're all evil sinners, but there's this worst class of sinner, you know, down here, and that is a murderer. And, and you know, and Cain's one of those. He's those worst class of, of, of sinners. And, and I think in our minds, we somehow do that. We rate sinners, but murder is revealed that he was evil. See, what was the, the ultimate motive? What was the ultimate reason that Cain murdered his brother Abel? It was, it was not just because he's a murderer. It started with jealousy, envy, anger, and ultimately selfishness. And really what it came down to is Cain hated the comparison with his brother. He hated it. He looked and he saw that his brother's gift was accepted by God and his was not. Now who made that comparison? Cain did. Cain was the one that came up with that in his own life. And he looked, God, you know, you look and it's interesting, in, in Genesis, uh, God does not judge Cain because his sacrifice was wrong. Why did God judge Cain? Because he allowed that 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 comparison that he made there of himself to, to build to a point of, of jealousy, to a point of hatred, to a point of murder. The light of Abel's righteousness revealed to Cain the darkness of Cain's evil. And that is why we understand as we go on, the next verse says, it should not surprise us that the world hates us. 
that, that comparison was extremely threatening to Cain. And he looked and he saw, oh, I'm sure it just swelled up within him. And I'm sure, you know, if, if you are a, a person here who had a sibling growing up, you understand this, this, but, you know, Cain took it to the next level. Okay, but you understand this. Okay, you look and you compare yourself and, oh, yeah, my, my brother is so much more successful than me or, oh, my parents like him better or whatever the case may be. And that's what Cain started with, a comparison. And it became very threatening to him. See, but the truth is, unless the Spirit of God has made you a very humble person, your instinctive response in that kind of threatening situation will be like Cain's, to lash out against the one whose righteousness has revealed your darkness, the bankruptcy of your heart. And then, once that jealousy began to form, once that hatred began to form, then Satan used that in his life and to inspire within him something deeper. And I believe what John is showing us here in this passage is that Cain is a model to us of the world. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, that same, oh, maybe we don't let it rise to the level of murder, but that same attitude can be in us. That jealousy that you have in your heart because your life didn't work out the way someone else's did. Or, or, or maybe it's that, that um, resentment that you have because someone else's holy life makes you look bad. You're no different than Cain. And John says that those actions were of the evil one. Then in verse 13, as I referenced a moment ago, verse 13 he says... Uh, uh, there, excuse me, uh, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Why? Because the same thing what we're talking about here, what happens is, is your righteousness, not anything that you have done, but your righteousness that comes because of God working in your life, your righteousness brings a light to the world's darkness. And it reveals it. And it causes us. I mean, have you seen that before? Have you seen, uh, maybe you've been at work, maybe you've been talking to someone that you met somewhere, and man, you're having a great conversation, and, and you're, you're talking about different things. Maybe you're talking about the weather. Maybe you're talking about sports. Maybe you're talking about uh, a hobby that you both share in common, and, and the conversation is going great, and then all of a sudden it turns to, to your faith and what happens many times don't talk about that. Man, I see that all the time when I talk to people. <laughs> you know, it's like we'll be, I'll be talking to someone and everything's going great and they'll be like, hey, so what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh, nice to meet you. Got to go. You know, suddenly, I'm this, why? It's the same thing. Because righteousness brings to, to light darkness. Again, 
We talked about this a few weeks ago, but the world here refers to the godless corrupt system and all the evil connected with it. In other words, the godless system this world is, that is controlled by Satan and is fed by our flesh is in direct opposition to the children of God. And before you hop on your holy horse and elevate yourself above the evil of this world, remember that you were once of the world and the only reason that you are no longer, if you are a Christian is that God drew you to himself and the Holy Spirit guides and directs you. So love has to overcome the evil deeds of the flesh because here's the thing, in our natural, normal state, it is really hard for us to love one another. Because it's easy for us to get drawn into these type of attitudes and, and, and problems. Third thing I want to look at then is love gives evidence of having eternal life in Christ. Look at verse 14 as we continue along. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Okay, death, connection with the, the unrighteousness of the children of evil. Then he says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we, ha- we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. He says, don't be surprised that the world hates you because you are righteous before the eyes of God. Then he says, uh, really a phrase that's beautiful, he says, we know. Charles Spurgeon talked about this phrase, he said it this way, I have heard it said by those who would be thought philosophers that in religion we must believe but we can never truly know. I'm not very clear about the distinction they draw between knowledge and faith, nor do I care to inquire, because I assert that in matters relating to religion, we do know. In the things of God, we we both believe and know. If you will read this epistle of 1 John with a pencil or a pen, uh, draw a line under the word know whenever it occurs, you will be astonished to see how John continually asserts the great truths of the faith. We know, we know, we know, we know. He does... He does not omit that any of these things in the subject are just thought process or something we hope for, but he asserts that they're all a matter of positive knowledge. And so it's a beautiful phrase because he says, and we know. We can be 100% certain. What? What does he say next? That we have passed from death to life. That phrase, have passed, it gives the idea of a person who has migrated from one country to another. And he's in the process of migrating fully. And it's, a, it's an interesting phrase because it has a, has a definite past moment of happening with, with future results. It's, it's we have passed, it's done, it's complete. Why is it done and complete? Because it was the work of Jesus Christ. Yet, yet the future beautiful benefits have not become fully seen. We have passed out of a world that is on a course to hell and eternal judgment, and we have passed to a life that leads to, to eternity in heaven. We can know this. We can absolutely know this. And how can we be positive that we have passed from death into life? Notice what he says there in ver- that verse. Because we love our brothers. As I said, our natural bent is to struggle in that area. And what John is saying is this. You know, John is a, is a 
completely black and white guy. Okay? There's, there's always just two sides with John. There's no straddling the fence with John. There's no, well, you can be partially here and partially here. No, it's 100% with John. It's, it's, uh, if, if, you are, if you are one that, that cannot love your brothers, then, then you're, you're of the evil one. What he's saying here, we can know without a doubt that we are passed from death into life if day after day, Moment after moment, even when it's hard, when it seems impossible to do, we love one another. John Piper said this, people who persistently and consistently love other people in a, in a heartfelt way are, uh, that are practical and sac- uh, sacrificial, all of those people and only those people can have assurance that they indeed possess the eternal life of God himself. He goes on, he says this, Brothers and sisters, loving one another is not a trivial thing. It's not an optional thing. It's not an easy thing. But loving one another is critically important, eternally important. It's a matter of life and death. Now, John is not saying this, that you have to love one another in order to uh, earn eternal life. Don't get me wrong. He is not talking about a works-based thing here. What he is saying this is if you uh, love one another, if you love your brethren, no matter what, sacrificially, lovingly, if you love them, it is evidence that God has changed your life. That's just what I'm talking about there. It is evidence. If Christians really do one an- love one another, then they will stop spending so much time criticizing each other. Man, as, as Christians, we have, we, have, we have perfected the art of criticism. We call it, you know, I'm praying for them. I care about them. But man, we have perfected this art of criticizing one another. But if Christians truly love one another, they will, uh, uh, they will not abandon the assembling of themselves together. They will not neglect one another's needs. They will find themselves uniting in spiritual fellowship with each other. That's why in Hebrews he says, uh, when he talks about a gathering together, he says, uh, you, you, will, you will come together. Why? Because it is good for, the, for edifying. You know, church attendance is not something we do because you know, it, it's required by God to be here every single time the doors are open. Church attendance is, is done in such a way because you love your brethren and you want to be there to encourage them and help them grow. That's a totally different way of viewing why we go to church. And one sure mark of a transformed life is the desire not only to, uh, to, to know fellow Christians, but to be with fellow Christians. That do, don't get me wrong, that does not mean that Christians should have no contact with the unsaved world. We should. But here's the thing, a professing Christian who prefers the company of people of the world more than they prefer the company of people of, of Christ Maybe that they're struggling with sin in their life. I, 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 am, I am not saying that we shouldn't associate with, with unsaved people. We should. The Bible tells us that. But because of, of Christ living in us, man, our, our love 
to be with other Christians should be strong. You know, John had just laid out for us that Cain is a demonstration that the world uh, wants to do to believers. Now John carries it on. Look at verse uh, 14 again. He says, And we know that we have passed from out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever cannot love, whoever does not display love in their regular life are still a child of the devil. Verse 15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John lays out this idea that Cain is a demonstration of the world wants to do, and then he takes it now, this command to love one another, and states that to not, your love, not to love your brother is to hate him, which means you're a murderer. That seems very strong again, but remember what Jesus said. You have heard it said that to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I mean, Jesus taught a very similar thing. In the heart, there is no difference. To hate means to despise. To hate means to cut off relationships. And murder is simply the fulfillment of that attitude. Every man who hates another has the venom of murder running through his veins. He may never actually do the deed. But if he wishes that his brother were out of the way, he would, that he wishes that he didn't exist, those feelings amount to the same thing as murder in the eyes of God. And here what John is reminding us is that love gives evidence of having eternal life in Christ. And finally, love is demonstrated through the sacrifice of Christ. John then transitions, and I actually... Um, thought about leaving this passage for next week, but I decided I wanted to include it this week. He says in verse 16, by this we will know love. We're not to hate, we're to love, but, but uh, God doesn't leave us with, uh, with uh, just a vague understanding of what love is. God actually gives us a demonstration of that love, and he says, by this we will know love, that he, that's Christ, that he laid down his life for us. And this, in here he speaks of the gospel, that the gospel is that, that all of us, every single one of us, is, was born as a child of the devil, as a child of unrighteousness, and, and, and there is no way that we can pass from death, child of darkness, into light, child of God, on our own. Because every single one of us demands, our sin demands that we are punished and there is no way that we can pass from, to, from li- death to life. But Jesus Christ came and he died for us and that's what he's talking about there. He laid down his life for us. And so with Christ as an example here, uh, John then be- gives us uh, some characteristics of love. And I, in the next few moments as we conclude, I just want to give three characteristics of love that we see here uh, John mentioning. The first one is, our love for one another should be sacrificial. He says in verse 16, by this we know love that he, Christ, lay down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
This is very similar to what, what Jesus said in John. Again, he said, This is the commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This moral imperative of love is at the very heart and core of the gospel. That Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to reflect for others the same kind of love that Jesus has and had for us. We ought to so delight so much in doing them good that we're willing to give up our very lives. Now, truth is, maybe none of us will ever have the opportunity to die for another. But what we are to do is be constantly reminding of the opportunities to demonstrate Christ-like love in lesser, more nitty-gritty ways in life. Ways where we share of our possessions, we share of our time, we share of our needs to the point that it hurts. Um, in our Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about we use our time and and as I was thinking about my message and as, as Rich was teaching the class and how we use our time, I began, I began thinking, how much time do we actually, during the course of our week, sacrifice our time for someone else? And what is Jesus, or what is John saying here, uh, as using Jesus as an example, he says, here, here's how we're going to know what love is when we are willing to lay down our lives, our time, our stuff, our efforts, to show love. Now, how much do we do that? One writer said it this way, the phrase to lay down denotes the extreme act of self-sacrifice to which Christian love, if necessary, should be willing to go. John is not seeking to stimulate a spirit of martyrdom in his readers, but he is stressing that this is the extent to which Christians' love should be willing to go. But I think oftentimes we keep it in that uh, theory mode. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice if it happens. But we don't ever put it into practice. And here John is saying, hey, if we're going to love one another, we need to be willing to lay down our life. It should be sacrificial. And I'm not just talking, yeah, if you're here today and you are a parent, you sacrifice for your kids every day. And that, that is part of that. But I think it goes beyond that. Secondly, our love for one another should be serving. Look at verse 17. Here's where, where John gets, it's, it's like, you know, it's all, like I said, it's all theory up here. And then he kind of, throws it right in front of us in the very practical way. In verse 17 he says, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love, God's love abide in him? And he, he brings it down extremely practical and gives us a practical example. In this passage, in this verse, we have two parties who both have something. We have a guy here who has has the goods of this world. He has the, the possessions of this world. We have another guy over here who doesn't, but he has a great need. 
and one has a need and the other has the opportunity to meet the need. And he says, if you have the, uh, the opportunity and someone else has the need and you don't meet it, is God's love really expressed in you? See, Christian love is not just about, you know, you pass each other in the halls and you say, hey, you know, it's nice to see you. And you smile. <laughs> it goes beyond that. Christian love is not just, hey, I'm, I, I wasn't mean to that person or evil to that person. Christian love is, is personal. It's active. The other night, I found myself at a gas station with a flat tire at 10.30 at night, wondering what in the world I was going to do. I went to change my tire and realized I had the wrong tools to change my tire and put the, uh, my spare on. And so I sat there going, what do I do? And I picked up my phone and I called someone in the church and said, do you have a few minutes? And I won't say who it is because I don't want to embarrass him. But he was there within about 10 minutes and did it. That's Christian love. Uh, you know, I'm sure that at 1030 at night he had better things to do than help out his pastor change a flat tire. But that's Christian love. Are, are we willing to do that? Christian love goes beyond just pleasantries at church. Christian love goes beyond that. Christian love is, is giving someone a nice note or even buying them a small gift just because. Christian love is, is shoveling someone's driveway because you want to. Christian love is, is calling someone on the phone and, and because you know they're having a bad day and saying, hey, can I take you to lunch today? Christian love is, just, is, is going beyond just the, the easy pleasantries of life and saying, I want to show you that I will serve you in whatever way possible. Christian love is finding out someone has a need and, 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 and instead of just saying, well, someone else will take care of it, say, you know, I can take care of it. I can do it. Christian love is where we are sacrificed and where we serve. And John tells us here in this passage, this is, and throughout this book, this is what we should be doing. But then finally, he says our, our love for one another should be sincere. Look what he says in verse 18, little children. I love that little phrase because it's kind of like he's coming back going, <laughs> you haven't figured out. Remember what I said? This was written in 90 AD. Okay, he was a very old man at this point. Okay, so he's saying little children to those that were in their 70s. It actually, it, it actually gives the idea of, uh, of a, a fond affection for one that you have birthed. He's not just talking to his kids, he's talking to fellow Christians, and he's saying, reminding them of something. He says, what does he say? Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed, in truth. Basically what John is saying is a phrase that you've probably heard your whole life, which is, actions speak louder than words. Oh, it's easy to say I love someone. Man, that's, that's super easy, but it's hard when we've got to sacrifice, isn't it? And Christian love says, I will do whatever it takes. You know, you can love in word and word only and maybe do it with a clean heart, but it doesn't go far enough is what, is what John is saying. 
It just merely is expressing affection, but love uh, with words connected with deeds shows the sincerity of heart. And I mean this. Commentator William Barclay said this, fine words will never take the place of fine deeds. I want to close with an uh, illustration that may, maybe seems a little grand, um, but I want you to uh, help you understand this concept. And Back in 1685, the, the Protestants of France were known as the Huguenots. Maybe you've heard of them. They, they lost their religious freedom and, and suffered horrible, terrible persecution. Um, they, they, were, they were forced to, to run and hide. Churches were shut down. People were, were running for their lives. And pretty much the Protestant, the Christian faith, almost dwindled completely during that time in France. Some 20 years later, a young man, a 17-year-old young man by the name of Anton Court, uh, organized a group of young men, and they became, uh, they became a movement that started a secret church in France. And, and they went out, and, and people were getting saved, and the church was growing rapidly, and things were going well. All at the same time, the government was, was still pursuing after, rounding up, and executing Christians. By 1732, some 15 years after they had started doing this, all the members of that group had been executed except for Anton Court. He fled to Switzerland, and when he fled to Switzerland, he did that to start a seminary, and he began this seminary where the whole purpose of the seminary was to train young Frenchmen to go back into their country to pastor the believers of France. And year after year after year, young French pastors would graduate from this seminary and they would sneak back into their homeland and they would begin their their ministry uh, certain to face death. In fact, the the diploma of that seminary uh, in, in those days had a nickname that meant in English the Certificate for the Gallows. And one after another, those young men would take their diploma in hand and they would cross the border into France for the love of God, but but also for the love of their fellow believer. Now listen, God is not calling any of you right now to the gallows. But he does call us every day, every single day, to pay the price of love, to practice love. Christ-like, self-denying, cheek-turning, coat-giving, extra-mile-walking love. He tells us here through John not not to rest until our hearts are alive with love for our brethren. That we can say in love that we have sought after, we have met the needs of our brothers. Until we can plainly say we have given up our lives for them. And then we can point to the weariness of our bodies and the emptiness of our wallets and the tears in our eyes and say we have given all in love for one another. This is why John was so passionate about love. Because he had learned that that this is what was going to be what was going to help them as, as a movement, as a group of young Christians was going to help them grow 
was that they needed to love one another. Let me ask you this question. Do you love the brethren in this church? And if the next time that you talk to someone in this church is next Sunday morning, you're not showing love to the brethren. It should be something where you are day by day, how can I show love today? How can I give of myself? How can I sacrifice? You know, and so often what we do is we sit back and we go, yeah, yeah, good, good job, Pastor Pete, t- telling people to love. I'm waiting for it. Who's going to love me this week? And that's not it. He doesn't say in this passage that it's for everyone else to love you. It's, no, the command is, we go back, way back, verse 11, he said, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. How you doing? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that we um, have an example in Jesus Christ of what it means to love Lord, and when I, when I stop and I look and I think about what Christ did for me, I'm just reminded of how I do not love enough. Lord, I pray that you help us to, as a church. We can be known for a lot of things but I pray that we would be known as a church who loves each other and sacrifices and serves with sincerity. Lord, we thank you for this challenging passage of Scripture, and I pray that you'll help us to apply it this week. We ask this in Christ's name.